Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch in Wonderland, Episode 3, Home to Fear Blood, where we cover Episode 7 through 9 of the show. First off, we have Episode 7, Bad Blood. The original air date was December 5th, 2013. The writer was Jane Espenson. The director was Kiernan Donnelly. And the title card was a wee dragon. It was very cute. We begin the A plot, beginning in the hellscape that is the Victorian England world, where Jafar speaks with Alice's father, Edwin, trying to butter him up with praise of his daughter and her obviously excellent upbringing. Her father is impatient to know Alice's whereabouts. Jafar suggests they go see her and dramatically reveals the white rabbit stowed in his case. The rabbit grumbles, but makes a portal in the drawing room wall so Edwin can travel with Jafar to Wonderland. Once in Wonderland, Jafar dismisses the rabbit and calms Edwin, who is wondering if he is hallucinating or in a dream. Jafar assures him Wonderland is real and very dangerous, especially to a young girl like Alice. Jafar is still maintaining the lie that he's a doctor from the asylum, lamenting that Alice obviously won't come home on her own, but he suggests she will be delighted to be rescued by her father. Edwin corrects him, explaining that he never believed in any of Alice's stories, so he doesn't expect her to want to hear from him now. Suddenly menacing, Jafar expresses disappointment at this unexpected development, and like, dude, Edwin... Even the villain is disappointed in you as a father. So I feel like you're really feeling pretty lousy right now. I know. I saw. I actually laughed at that. I was like. <laughs> no, I, I did too. I like that Jafar was like, dude, I'm a psychopath, but you're a shit dad. Yeah. It's like, oh man, me and Alice, you know, after this, after this whole genie nonsense is blown over, she and I should really have tea together. Start yeah. a support group. Yeah. Jafar. I still agree with the both of you that he wasn't needed in this show. But at mm -hmm. the same time, the show has succeeded in actually making me kind of like him. Even if he's a terrible person, like so many terrible things happen to him. You're like, okay, I understand why you're this way. And like, you have your own set of morals now because of it. And like, I get you. But he draws the line of being a shitty dad. He draws the line of being a shitty dad. Mm -hmm. He'll put up with a lot, but that's his line in the sand. That's his line. Tweedledee delivers a report to the Red Queen back in her throne room. The shores have been searched, but no sign of the genie has been found. She monologues her strategy to find the genie before Jafar returns. But the sorcerer appears behind her just in time to hear her treacherous intentions. He plays it cool until he finally learns Cyrus has escaped, and they posture a bit while recapping their dastardly plans. Jafar then returns to the tower where he has Edwin cuffed to a chair and drugged. He draws some of the man's blood with a syringe and adds it to a mortar with a few other potion ingredients, which he stirs with the pestle. While mixing his potion, Jafar casually asks Edwin if he's right-handed or left. When he gets no reply, Jafar provokes Edwin to punch him with his left and gets his answer that way. He calls his guards to throw Edwin in a cage and stalks away. In the B-plot, Alice and the knave approach the foot of the mountain, 
debating strategies for getting into Jafar's fortress at the peak. As they step through the trees, they realize the fortress is not a mountain, as it is a floating island, a thousand feet in the air above the sea. Alice and Will take an inventory of the contents of their pockets, looking for a way to get to the floating island. Alice reveals she has two wishes left. Alice tries to convince Will to jump in a basket they're going to make out of twigs and bird bark so they can float up to Jafar's keep. Will feels this plan is dangerous. In the woods nearby, Jafar drinks his potion and is instantly transformed into Edwin. And thus, we merge the A and B plots into one mediocre-tasting hot pot. Jafar, who is now disguised as Edwin, runs out of the woods and exclaims that Alice was right about everything. He asks if she can ever forgive him for doubting her and wraps her in his arms. Alice is too dismayed to speak. Alice then listens while Jafar as Edwin gives an overly detailed account of how he arrived in Wonderland. He makes a point to take his glasses out and clean them just as he saw Edwin do earlier. We know she believes he's her father because she finally expresses her bitterness at the way he treated her. Will and Jafar as Edwin sit together making the basket for Cyrus's rescue, which Jafar as Edwin is delighted uh, which Jafar's Edwin is delighted to hear Alice still thinks Cyrus is up there. He asks the knave for advice on how to get close to Alice again. Will tells him that Alice will always try to help people in need. Sure. <laughs> then mm. suggests Edwin <laughs> Sure, <find> Jan. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I rolled so hard at that part that I hurt myself. I feel like that was child Alice. Like, child Alice is the one who I'm assuming you'd help name not this Alice mm. I mean yeah. maybe we didn't we don't see anything of we her don't she see could anything. have been terrible as a kid maybe she was always bad we don't know well she helped Will get his heart back that's like the one like really good thing we know she did and I feel like it was when she was a kid but I don't maybe. know maybe I, I don't know if they're gonna show I don't, if, well I can tell you this Millie Bobby Brown does not come back okay mm-hmm. wonder if they show that or not I guess we'll find out anyways back to the summary Will tells him that Alice will always try to help people in need, then suggests Edwin help find Cyrus, as nothing would go farther to heal their relationship. While building the basket, Alice asks Will if she should forgive her father. He says, definitely not, but (laughs) believes she will because it's Uh, the right thing to do. uh, Nearby, (laughs) uh, nearby, Jafar's Edwin discreetly casts a spell to sick a fire-breathing dragon on himself. But Alice successfully kills it. Ew. That poor dragon. Who was a pretty I was like, Yeah, dragon. I was like, you could have just shoot it. You could have just chased it away. That night, Alice, Will, and Jafar's Edwin cook up some of the dragon meat for dinner. But Alice notices Jafar's Edwin doesn't say grace over the meal. Alice immediately acts suspicious and makes up an excuse to pull Will away. She glances untrustingly over her shoulder at Jafar's Edwin, who sees she's on to him. Alice and the knave ditch the imposter, and Jafar summons his staff, returning to his usual appearance. In a hanging cage in Jafar's dungeon, Edwin says grace over his gruel. The sultan strikes up a conversation, and Edwin speaks of a great sin, of not believing his daughter when she asked him to. The sultan says, if that is your greatest sin, then you have sinned very little. Edwin asks if this old guy in the swinging cage knows a way out. And the Sultan says only one man ever has escaped. And I expect to see Cyrus return in chains at any minute. Edwin is excited to hear that Cyrus is real and still alive. Just then, Jafar storms into his dungeon and grabs Edwin, 
telling him he is going to die. <laughs> Alice apologizes to Will for making him spend the whole day with the imposter. Jafar flies in on his carpet and threatens to drop Edwin. But Alice thinks that this is still the imposter. Edwin doesn't blame her for not knowing the difference between him and a big fake. He confesses to blaming Alice for her mother's death and for all his unhappiness, which, dude, you suck. He doesn't ask for forgiveness, but grabs a moment to tell her Cyrus has escaped. I do like it that he's like, I, I blamed you for everything. Your mother dying and all my sadness. And she's like, yep, that's him. That's the real guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, he sucks. What a dirtbag. What a dirtbag. I knew I wonder... you weren't really my dad because you were actually pleasant. I yeah. know. And Jafar was like, she deserves a good dad. And you're like, Jafar, in another life, when like the world didn't twist you, you probably actually would have been like a good dad. Could have been a nice guy. Could have been a contender. I mean, he draws the line at being a bad dad. He draws the line at being a bad dad. He could be an evil guy and still be a good dad. You know, that happens. That's a thing. That's a trope. <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin tried and failed at that. <laughs> yeah. Miserably. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. He wanted to be. He wanted, he to, wanted be. to be. But he wanted that power more, man. Yeah. Jafar drops Edwin to stop him from telling her more. But Alice believes this is her real father now and quickly wishes him home. And Alice words the wish terribly. Like there's been so much focus on the way you need to word your wishes and the way she worded it. He could have ended up home but dead. I was so surprised they didn't pull a he made it home but continue to fall into the sea in Victorian England world because I could have totally seen them pulling that. But they didn't. It's not as if like she gets away with that wish scot-free, like without consequences. No, but magic could have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Jafar smugly reminds Alice she only has one wish left and the carpet surfs away. Will tells Alice he's sorry. But Alice is pretty happy because she knows Cyrus is free and she's finally made peace with her father. Rill reminds her that all magic has consequences and wonder what the fallout might be from her wish. Edwin suddenly wakes up on his sofa at home and his wife comes to check on him. He eventually assumes everything that just happened to him in Wonderland was a dream. Wah -wah. In the past, young Jafar asks his dying mother what he should do when she passes. She tells him his real father is the sultan who will protect him. Sure, Dan. <laughs> like, why? I feel like if she had just escorted him to the palace herself, maybe it would have gone better. I don't know. Anyways, she gives her son. Well, I'm kind of like, well, there's a reason why he's not in his life, right? <laughs> yeah. She's set him up for failure. Just being like, yeah, go see the sultan. He'll take care of you. No. It's like in How I Met Your Mother, Barney's mom told Barney that his dad was Bob Barker. <laughs> I don't know. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> she gives her son a ring that the sultan will recognize, then dies. Like, uh, she should have gone. I know she was dying. She should have like, done this a day earlier and gone with him. It could have gone better, but actually the sultan is an absolute terrible person. So he might have been kind to Jafar the day that his mother was alive. And as soon as she passed, then he would just go to treating him like garbage, like he did in the episode anyways, because he's an awful, awful person. And this poor kid. Ugh. Anyways, in Agrabah, young Jafar has been caught trying to steal a sword from a palace guard. So he's escorted to a private audience with the sultan. The punishment by law is to lose the hand with which he stole. The sultan handles these petty thieving matters personally, 
which is lucky because it gives Jafar a chance to show the Sultan his ring. The Sultan realizes who Jafar must be and agrees to take the boy in only as a servant. He will never acknowledge Jafar as his son, as he has an heir already. Young Jafar serves ambassadors in the Sultan's court who are asking the Sultan for support for a supply blockade they're having with their northern neighbors. When the Sultan's legitimate son, Mirza, is called upon to recite certain policies, he has trouble, leaving room for Jafar to interject with the correct answer. The Sultan is furious that Mirza has been upstaged, but smooths it over in front of his company. Jafar nearly calls the Sultan father when he apologizes, but catches himself. In retaliation, Mirza bullies Jafar, in front of their deadbeat dad, no less, who not only encourages the bullying, but reiterates that Mirza is his only son and heir. A little while later, the Sultan visits Jafar in his room and accepts his apology for the earlier incident, and then drowns him in his wash basin. He pulls the boy's limp body out of the water and places it on the carpet, ordering the guards to dispose of the body. And this whole thing was a nightmare. Like, mm. dude, it was awful. And I'm I'm kind of on Jafar's side in the fact that I want him to get revenge on this absolute nightmare shit man. It was so brutal. It was disturbing. It was really awful. I was just like, every so often, like once upon a time does these things where you're like, that was horrible. What demographic exactly are you gearing for? Exactly. Right, because I, I, I'm, I'm even like, man, do even like real soaps do that kind of shit? On, I like, I, like, I don't know. This was dark and very frustrating. How they've like both before this and after this try to play the Sultan having sympathetic moments, and you're like, no, this is a child murderer. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a horrible person. Yeah, I hate the Sultan. I hate him so much. I hope Tmili Jafar is defeated by the good guys, but I hope he gets fucking revenge on this man, even more so than just keeping him locked in a cage for years, because I hate him so much. Yeah. <sighs> in a garbage yard outside of the city, a mysterious magical energy floats over Jafar's body, and he awakens. And we see that same energy... Over his mom. Mom, yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering so if he's we're going to learn. So his mom now. <laughs> Maybe. Oh. Maybe, oh, maybe it's his mom and the body going revenge crazy. Oh, mysteries. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that is. I don't yeah. know if she was magic or... I don't or, know. Or if it's just like the balance of the universe, you know? Be your own mom. There you go. <laughs> Be Become ungovernable. Become <laughs> ungovernable. Become ungovernable. Become your own mom. <laughs> I was gonna say, isn't this like a like a clownfish metaphor or something? I mean, maybe. Brand synergy. <laughs> Brand synergy. We've introduced Finding Nemo to the pot. <laughs> All right. Many years later, Jafar, now grown and armed with his serpent staff, storms the Sultan's palace single-handedly. He prompts the Sultan to look at his face and recognize him. And we see the sultan has aged into the man from the dungeon. Mirza walks in the throne room, and Jafar offers to spare the sultan if Mirza will fight him in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Mirza slowly backs away and tries to leave, but Jafar kills him. Jafar demands the sultan to acknowledge him as his son. Still a right asshole, the sultan says, you are a bastard boy. Jafar promises that the sultan will call him son one day. In the present, the sultan argues with Jafar. 
she regrets not murdering Jafar better when he had the chance and swears again that he will never call Jafar his son. Shall you okay back there? Yeah, I'm just like, like that whole part where he's just like, I regret not murdering you better. And I'm just like, holy fuck. No, this guy is awful. Yeah, it's a hell of a fucking thing to say. I was just like, oh my god, like, what is, like, wrong with you? And then, like, I thought back to when him and Cyrus were having a chat, and he's like, oh, I have something that, you know, Jafar will never get from me. And now that we know what it is, it's just like... Oh, it's literally calling him his son, like, love. Acknowledging him signed. Yeah. Oh, Jafar, you don't don't need that. Just just kick him down a hill. It's fine. I hate the Sultan so much. Jafar, you know what? Kermit hates him too, because Kermit's having a having a having a moment. <laughs> oh no, buddy! He I, said, feel, yeah, I guess fuck that guy. You know, Jafar is still not a good guy, and he still does bad things. But I guess these episodes of his flashbacks really have succeeded. not as big of an asshole as you could have been. Yeah, as it succeeded mm-hmm. in making me like understand why he's the way he is, and feeling genuinely bad for the the boy he was, for who he could have been, mm-hmm. um, without these horrible things happening to him. The Sultan doesn't think love will have the same value when it's brought on by magic. He enacts his only plan of escape and steps off the ledge to fall to his death. But Jafar summons the magic carpet to catch him. The last shot of the episode is on the beach where an unconscious Cyrus wakes up and murmurs Alice's name to himself. End credits of bad blood. So what were your thoughts on this episode? So... Alice continues to just be an absolute psychopath, and I just don't get it. Like, there's the scene where she hears the cries of a sentient tree, and her first impulse is to brutally rip off its branch and be like, we're totally going to murder this thing and fly up to the castle. Like, I'm sorry, what? This is our hero? That's, that's, That's a living creature, and you just maimed it without a second thought. We're told later in the episode that we should think she's a good person, but basically she's a serial killer. I also am just really trying to parse out what unconfronted father issues jane espenson is trying to work through in this episode since the major plot of it just seems to be dad suck and honestly i don't know what takeaway i'm really supposed to get from this episode other than everyone but will is a bad person because it's just a parade of bad people doing bad things but because they also had bad things happen to them, we should sympathize and not just go, cool motive, still murder. Yeah, I don't understand, like, what is with this show framing villainous adults as sympathetic, especially with crimes against children? Like, It likes to, though. It really, it really does. does. Yeah. Like, between the Sultan and then the Sorceress, it makes Regina look like child play. You know what I mean? I'm like, guys, remember Regina? I miss Regina's crimes. Like, I miss normal <laughs> once upon a time so crimes, much. But, but she was Regina, even if yeah. she did terrible things. She was Regina. Yeah. She was our Regina. Yeah. She was our Regina. She's a psychopath, <laughs> but she's our psychopath. Well, and, you know what? We have... To be honest, she at least there. waited till Snow was an adult before she tried to murder her. I guess true. that's true. Mm-hmm. She never tried to drown her in a wash basin that's true she, she does did. have that going for her she did wait until snow was an adult with a fighting chance exactly. she did send a series of children into a cannibal witch's house you know we don't have <laughs> <truth. laughs> 
But and if they came fair, out, they could get adopted. Exactly. <laughs> she offered them a pretty That's sweet the fucking prize. life. And I would have taken that. I would have taken that deal in a heartbeat. Fuck my woodcutter dad. Fuck. <laughs> there was also the murder hole full of the entire village. Okay, you got me there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got me there. She's pretty, though. She is pretty. But, I don't know, I feel like these adults in Jafar's life is still worse, worse than... And I don't think it excuses his behavior. Like, he obviously, like, he, like, we saw him with his neighbor friend who brought back, like, his goat, and he didn't Mm -hmm. want to murder him, but then he did because he was like, nah, I'm playing the long game, you know? Yeah, and that was a very turning point for him. Yeah, that was his turning point. But I do think it's really weird that they really tried to make you be sympathetic for the sultan yeah they they still kind of they still kind of are too even after like the reveal which let's be real wasn't that great of a reveal we we like we called it in like episode two it's not a good reveal but like they still even after being like he's a bad person who did all of these bad things you're like oh you should feel bad for him because jafar put him in a cage and it's like really yeah. yeah and it's like and it's in one of the next episodes where he's just like no nah, i should have killed you better and they did it to the moment being like yeah none of this would happen if he would killed him but you're like no don't frame it that way he was an innocent child an innocent child mm-hmm. who had done nothing wrong and that man killed him like mm-hmm. you really should be framing it as like no if you weren't a monster we wouldn't be here with him it's not a you should have killed him if you had shown him even like a crumb of kindness he wouldn't have turned into this person and lord i hope that this is where it's going you know i hope so too in the core show they did a decent job of being like regina's you know a monster she's done these terrible things and that was all set up from her mother doing these terrible things and it doesn't excuse it and it doesn't make one the good guy or one you know the bad guy they're both you know villains who then have ultimately like especially regina has this redemption arc but i feel like it's just done much better with regina and cora than whatever they're trying to do here because the sympathy to the sultan just it's a really weird take Mm -hmm. don't like it and i hate this guy and i don't understand why we're supposed to feel bad for him Mm -mm. no i'm gonna squarely blame like the writing in this yeah because Mm -hmm. i'm like there was a way to do this and that path was not the way that you decided to take. No. Legitimately don't know where you're going with this. And I'm no. kind of frightened, like not in a fun way. So fuck this guy. Fuck him two <laughs> sides from Sunday. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, Jafar's a villain, but yeesh. Also, I 100% agree with Lynn. Alice is unhinged. Like, that tree was just minding its own business, and like any card-carrying member of white Victorian British Empire, Alice wants to rip it down for her own means, like fucking colonizer style. (laughs) And I was just like... (gasps) oh my god <laughs> like I it was horrifying because yeah, like she's like, like, like doing yeah like the intro to that scene is just like it's just like will being like what is that is that a bird and then them like going to see what's like making the calling noise which obviously is indicating that it's something sentient and her first impulse is just immediately to like wrench one of the branches off like she's a monster she is that's why i stand by my i think she's a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh my god, she is Jack the Ripper. <laughs> she, yeah, there we go. We solved it for you, Victorian England. There you go. That's why the murders finally stopped. It's because she fell into Wonderland. <laughs> well, you know, this show loves having characters be multiple characters, even though Jack the Ripper was a real guy. But Yeah, but so was Mulan. So was Mulan, so. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know we've already talked about most of these talking points quite a bit, so I'll, I'll be very brief about it. But the Sultan was an absolute monster, and I, I don't know why they were trying to have us feel sorry for him. He literally drowned his son. He's a monster. And Jafar, you know what? Get your revenge. You do you, boo. I guess in this one case, I got your back. You, you know what? <laughs> and here's the thing. He must have been an asshole dad even to Mirza that we didn't see because Mirza wouldn't have even fought for him. He like ran. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I was Jafar, like, Jafar was like, I'm not going to use my powers or anything. It'll just be a fist fight. And he was like, nope. Fuck nah. <laughs> I don't love my dad that getting, much. I'm not getting hit for this guy. Yeah. So he yeah. must have been a dick to him. So I'm sure he was an absolute monster. Yeah. I felt sad for like Mirza because Mirza's like this spoiled, rotten little kid who's like being encouraged to beat on another child. I mean, he's, I don't feel bad he for did, Mirza. No, yeah, he did start it, but he started it. Sure, he started it, but that's, that's, that's what creep. I'm saying though. But like, he's being that raised that way. He was yeah. taught that. Yeah. That that was like acceptable behavior. And it's like, no. Uh, I thought he was a little creep and I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sad he's dead. I'm just, you know. I'm just like, good, you sucked. <laughs> so other than that, other than the flashback, um, it wasn't the best episode, but at least it wasn't the serpent. To me, the serpent episode four is basically this show's fruit of the poisonous tree mm-hmm. in levels of yikes and uncomfy. Like that said, this is still pretty yikes and uncomfy, but it's on its own way. I definitely thought it was a better episode than the serpent. That's such a low bar. Yeah, but the serpent is definitely this show's fruit of the poisonous tree. And so this is the show's true north. Oh, God. (laughs) So it's interesting that they keep having Will have this unwavering faith in Alice and her goodness. And I think there's a really interesting story that they could have told, but I'm certain they aren't. And the reason why I know they're not going this way is definitely because they did that pure of heart test a couple episodes back with Alice. And so the show was definitely presenting Alice as someone who was pure of heart, uh, a Snow White, a Belle. Um, oh my God. Do not say Alice's name in the same sentences as our beautiful, wonderful Belle. I know. But, no, but that's what the show is, that's what oh, what no, show I is trying I to know. tell I'm us. Just, I'm just... It's not showing us, but it is trying to tell us. It's telling us. Right, right. Yeah. And there is such potential for an interesting story around Will and Alice, because we know Alice saved Will once and gave him back his heart. I feel like it's been implied that it was young Alice who did so. I, I'm not sure. I don't think it was. See it. But I would have loved, in the version of the show that is a better version, I would have loved to have seen more young Alice flashbacks showing this goodness and kindness, this noble nature that Will speaks so highly of. And then have the show show us this current Alice, how those parts have slipped away and corroded due to what Mm. she's been through. And have Will still see her as that young girl, while others see her violent and selfish nature. And having Will need to come to terms with that. And through the story, have Alice accepting both parts of herself and becoming someone new. Still her, but new and stronger, but kinder. I'd really like that show, I think. And I can, you know, I can imagine scenes from that scenario now, like Will going, Alice, this isn't you. And Alice going, that's not who I am anymore. And I think it could be a really interesting dynamic to explore. I see a good show in here somewhere. It just needed a lot more polishing to get there. I feel like they were rushing it. Yeah. It feels very rushed. Yeah, I think there was a lot of hype, a lot of pressure for them to get a spinoff out there really quickly while the Once Upon a Time, like, fandom energy was still really high 
And I think they just didn't give the story enough time to develop to get us a satisfying Alice arc. I mean, we have four episodes to go, but I just feel like there's little ways they could have tweaked the story and it would have been so much better. They could have had this Alice and done something with how she is and acknowledged that, you know? Yeah. I want to watch that show, though. I want to watch this 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 other version. I think it'd be it really doesn't exist, baby. <laughs> it doesn't my heart. <laughs> That's the only place it is. What we got was this. Man, I can tell you that there is not a strong fandom for this show because as many of like our, our followers on Tumblr know, I queue up posts for the episode or episodes that we cover between episodes. There is not a lot of <laughs> on a time in Wonderland yeah, to I think, be queuing up. Like us, I think the main thing that people liked from the show was Will and Anastasia. Yeah. I think and that's then, the one and thing. And then there's that just really like lasted. stuff that like gets in compilation. Right. And then so a lot of stuff is in compilation posts mm -hmm. and I can't post them until we talk about said episodes, you know? So gets a little extra quiet on Tumblr. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> During this one. <laughs> All right. Should we talk about the next one? Yeah, we gotta. Welcome to episode eight called Home. The air date for this episode was December 12th, 2013. The writers were the Kitsowitz, so we know who to send our angry e emails to. And Christ, Zach yeah. Estrin. And the director was Romeo Tyrone. The title card features the White Rabbit, whose name we learn is Percy. So I'm going to start using the name Percy because it's easier to say and write than constantly saying White Rabbit. Percy's also a really cute name. It is a cute name. It is a cute name. So we're going to start with the flashbacks where we see Alice and Cyrus kind of canoodling by the fire. And Alice learns that Cyrus hasn't always been a genie. And he carries a compass given to him by his mother. But he believes his mother is dead now because the magical compass always used to point to wherever she was in the world. But then one day it just stopped. And so we see the point. I don't know what that's actually called. I'm sure it has like a technical term. It's called the needle. The needle. I'm saying I knew it had a technical <laughs> name. I just I, enjoyed the joy with which you were like, the needle. Because like I knew it, but like I forgot it, you know, mm -hmm. that really bothers me when I forget things like that. No, I get it. Uh, it's just kind of spinning haphazardly. So it didn't actually stop Cyrus. It just... It stopped working, but yeah, it just went cuckoo. After this revelation, the couple are attacked. And while they ultimately win, Alice is badly hurt as she collapses in Cyrus's arms, blood flowing from a wide cut in her abdomen. So Cyrus ends up carrying Alice to Percy Rabbit, aka the White Rabbit's house, and pleads for help as Mrs. Rabbit is a healer. Why did Whoopi Rabbit have boobs? <laughs> this one goes out to the furries, I guess. I was really afraid. Lola Bunny walked so Mrs. Rabbit could hop. I don't know. God, I guess. Send send your letters to Looney Tunes. Send or your letters Warner to the Kitsowitzes. <laughs> so Cyrus paces nervously outside of the rabbit's house until Percy emerges to tell him that Alice will live. Rabbit then tells Cyrus that if he cares about Alice, he will leave her instead of making her live in constant danger by his side. Cyrus maintains that their nomadic lifestyle is what they've both chosen. But the White Rabbit makes a convincing argument, saying that as long as he's known Alice, she's longed for a home where she could belong. So Cyrus has an idea, and he goes to visit the Caterpillar, saying that, like, I heard that you can make people disappear, people who wish to never be found. When he first said, like, 
I heard you can make people disappear. I'm like, oh my God, Cyrus, who are you having killed? Her dad, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. He's been mean to my girlfriend. <laughs> if he's out of the way, everything will be fine. <laughs> everything will be fine. We'll get the house. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. We can go live there. So in exchange for the caterpillar's magic, he gives our little mob man the magic compass. Power that the compass has points to anything the holder has lost and is searching for. And I'm like, well, were you always searching for your mom? <laughs> Maybe that was the problem <laughs> with it. <laughs> so Alice, after she's released from the rabbit's care, Alice and Cyrus are walking slowly because, you know, she's still recovering from her injuries. Cyrus reminds Alice of the terrible danger he's always in and that she's in too as so long as they're together. So once she asserts again that she's not afraid of the life they are living, Cyrus leads her into an invisible tent. It's equipped with furniture, a bathtub, a wide bed, and the floor is strewn with like soft Persian carpets. And I'm sure they got like a little stove or whatever. So this is going to be their little home. It's actually pretty cute. I thought this moment was pretty sweet. Alice realizes that Cyrus must have given up something important for this kind of magic, but he tells her, nah, don't worry about it. So that's all in the past. In the present A-plot, Alice watches from behind a tree as soldiers comb the forest. She knows they're looking for Cyrus and intends to find him first. Instead of using their heart powers to locate him, she's going to meet him at the super secret special meetup place, aka, you know, the magic tent. Alice and the knave travel through the forest as she explains that her meeting place with Cyrus is far off in the Outlands. Before they get there, though, she needs to secure the White Rabbit's help. Even though he betrayed her, she needs him to make a hole to another world so they can escape as soon as they find Cyrus. Alice and Will approach the rabbit's house. Some attempts have been made to make it look abandoned, but Alice barges in anyway. The entrance is a small door built into this little hollowed out tree stump, but when she ducks inside, it's like a TARDIS, and it's much bigger on the inside. The rabbit is there, ashamed of his actions, and immediately confesses his betrayal. And they're like, yeah, bro, we we know. But they still want him to rejoin her and help get her home. Percy explains that he can't help her because the queen has his family captive. Alice decides to get them back, but she doesn't know where to look. Will has an idea. Meanwhile, in the B-plot, Cyrus is captured by a sentient grapevine, which was kind of cute. (laughs) Because then the grapevine speaks to each other through the grapevine into the Red Queen's maze, where Tweedledee hears him. He rushes to report to the queen, but sees his brother, Tweedledum, hurrying in the opposite direction. Curious, Tweedledee spies his brother hand a bottle-sized package to Jafar. When Tweedledum asks if Jafar will protect him from the queen, Jafar says, Soon she will no longer matter. Thank you for your sacrifice. Blah, 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 blah. And he fucks off. <laughs> Just, Just like that. that. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. I can't let Elisa be the only one doing sound effects. <laughs> Tweedledee goes straight to the queen and rats on his brother and, but also gives her, you know, the news about the grapevine. After the queen dismisses him, she checks the drawer where she was hiding the bottle to find it empty. Luckily, this was all a ruse anyways. Alone, the Red Queen drives this barouche-style carriage to collect Cyrus from the grapevine and continue on to fetch his bottle, located in the broken-down old wagon where she and Will used to live together. Inside... She obtains Cyrus's real bottle in a specially made case. Meanwhile, Will brings Allison Percy to the wagon where he lived with Anastasia as well. He guesses accurately that she might hide something valuable there and goes inside alone and discovers the empty case where the bottle was stored. 
he uh, kind of nods for her and is like, nah, always thinking one step ahead. <laughs> so still impressed by her. But he lifts a heavy drape and ducks down to see what's beneath it. Outside, Percy is worrying that his family might be dead, but the door to the wagon bursts open and there the rabbits run out. So they're all reunited until Percy dispatches them to go stay with his mother-in-law while Percy keeps his promise to help Alice. Meanwhile, once Jafar realizes that he has been tricked, he storms into the Red Queen's castle, but it's oddly deserted. He finds a gift-wrapped box with his name on it. Inside, still alive, is the head of Tweedledum. He tells Jafar, I think she's on to us, which made me fucking laugh. That was the only part of this episode where I actually was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's horrifying yeah. and hilarious. I Yeah, I really want to shout out this moment because this comical body horror is so very Wonderland, like true Wonderland stuff. And I, I think the show could have benefited from more of this energy. Agreed. It's kind of one of the only parts that actually felt legitimately like it was a Wonderland adaptation. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland does have like this undercurrent of creepiness. Oh, yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And so it's shit like this that's really funny and and creepy in that funny way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was like, yes, more of this, less blatant child abuse. Yeah. Less everything we've seen in Jafar's flashbacks. More things like this. Like it's this horror thing. It's it's what's in the box. But then he's still alive and he's like, I think she's on to us. And it was very funny and it was just very horrific, but comical. It had this very specific kind of Wonderland energy that I thought worked mm-hmm. very well. Yeah. Yeah. So storming into the throne room, Jafar takes a hair from the queen's hairbrush before he carpet surfs away, whoosh, waving his hand behind him to blow up large sections of the palace that he's just going to move into into the next episode. I so I'm kind of like... I didn't understand this at all. I Yeah, I was like... I like your little tantrum. It's, it's like... It's, it's It was a tantrum. <sighs> like, if he had blown it up, fine, whatever. But then, like, he immediately moves in. Yeah, and yeah. Like, it's, it's like you still live at home and you light the bathroom on fire because you're mad at your brother, but you still live there. Yeah. And now the bathroom doesn't work. So good yeah. job. So good yeah. job. Yeah. Well, back in his tower, Jafar does a complicated spell with the strand of the queen's hair. He creates a storm inside of a goblet, which he releases out the window, directing it to find the red queen and kill her. Later, Jafar sees the storm settle in one spot and realizes that must be where the queen is. Presumably, he then goes off and has a beer or something because he doesn't go to capture the genie, Alice, or the queen, or the bottle. At least not in this episode. So, I don't know where he went. He had a nap. He had a nap. He had a nap. <laughs> yeah, I think he just was all like, oh, I think that storm's gonna, you know, take care of business. Take That's care enough business. for today. I'm plum tuckered out. Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of I'm gonna go get today. my. I'm gonna go get some snacks. <laughs> gonna go down to the 7-Eleven. <laughs> Driving her buggy nearby, the queen sees smoke rising from her castle. She focuses on finding Alice, though, warning Cyrus that either they or Jafar will find Alice soon. Cyrus then directs the queen to drive out to the outlands. He explains that Alice will be there because that's where she thinks he will go. Plots A and B finally meet up when Alice and Cyrus are reunited at their love nest in the outlands. Their joy is short-lived as the Red Queen rudely interrupts their smooching. The Queen and Cyrus have made a bargain to work together against Jafar, but Alice and the Knave don't trust her. As Jafar's magical storm quickly approaches, Alice demands the Queen for a reason to trust her. The Queen confesses that she wants Will back. She wants Jafar to change the past so she can go back to a time when Will still loved her. 
Will coldly tells her that he will never love her again. Despite the shattering of her bravado, confidence, and heart, the queen desperately pleads for them to believe her before Jafar shows up. Alice reluctantly tells the rabbit to dig his portal so they can all escape Wonderland together, although he should have been fucking digging that as soon as he caught sight of that storm, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know why the hell he's just standing around. Anyway, a bolt of lightning strikes down at the queen, but she deflects it, accidentally altering its course towards Will, knocking him down. While the queen rushes to his side, Alice collapses too as her first wish is enacted. If the knave dies, then I die. Cyrus begs Alice to use her last wish to save herself, but she refuses to make him a prisoner again. Alice tells Cyrus she loves him and passes out. The knave is still conscious, though, and he explains that the last wish was promised to him. Cyrus agrees, warning him to be very careful with what he wishes for. Will fucking knows that. Will thinks for a moment, then wishes to end Alice's suffering. His wish comes true. Alice is suddenly well again, and Cyrus is not sacked back into the bottle because his curse was part of Alice's suffering. He's now free, but the knave has disappeared. After a moment, Cyrus realizes what must have happened and starts searching for the bottle. The last image we see is Will waking up in the bottle, now adrift in a creek, as he discovers bindings around his wrist, indicating he is now enslaved as a genie. End home. What are your thoughts? This might be simultaneously the dumbest and most boring episode so far. I fell asleep for around 10 minutes and missed absolutely nothing. I thought the episode was going to end like five times and it just kept going. The Red Queen was the only thing good and fun in this episode and she was barely in it at all. The CGI on the Rabbit family was an absolute waking nightmare and absolutely nothing happened until the last five minutes. Nothing. The rabbit family, if I didn't look at the screen and just heard their little voices, I was like, ah, rabbit family. They're but then you but looked the, at them and the it was an eldritch was nightmare. <laughs> animation yeah. was terrible. I had to look away. So I was it was like, well, sad rabbit and sad ram rabbit family. And so I was like, oh, but then like I, I hated the animation on them. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it was HP Lovecraft were... presents rabbits. <laughs> it was it was bad. It was really bad. It was some of the worst stuff. Which was sad because I should have cared about these rabbits because it was like a sad separated rabbit family. But I, I could only care if I looked away from the screen. <laughs> but despite that, and the fact that this episode had some major pacing issues, like my wife said, like we thought it was going to end several times. Like I was convinced it had run its narrative course, but it kept going. On the long run, I'm glad it kept going because the end was by far the most interesting part of the episode. So I'm glad that happened. Because the last five minutes of the episode, I, I thought were actually great. There's a lot of good character moments in a very short amount of time. I wish the whole episode was that. I, in fact, wish the whole show was that. For those last few minutes, I felt genuinely invested. And that was a great feeling. I thought the wording of Will's wish, meaning Cyrus was also free, was a very clever plot twist and a very clever choice of words by Will. But then them having Will be a genie now, that section of the twist kind of felt out of left field, but Michael Socher still sold it. So, you know, I, I still enjoyed myself. But I thought the, the initial twist of Cyrus being free that way, mm -hmm. saving Alice and also that freeing Cyrus, I thought that that portion was very clever. I'm legit very on board for the new set of best bros that are Cyrus and Anastasia. I really enjoy their dynamic here and in the next episode. I wish we had gotten this unexpected friendship earlier in the show because it's a fun and interesting dynamic. I understand why it couldn't have worked earlier, but I liked it. I, 
I thought it was a fun surprise, something I had no idea was going to happen because I have not seen these episodes before. And I was like, oh, I, I like this. I, I like what they're doing here. I like this. Another final thing I can say about this episode is that Will being so excited and going, is that a bathtub? Mm-hmm. was the cutest moment. And I just, I love him so much. Will Scarlet, I love you. I know. That would be me too. That would be my reaction. Is that a bathtub? Is that a bathtub? Bitch is a slut for a bathtub. <laughs> okay. I too fell asleep during this episode and I pause it and I was like, Ooh, I, this bored me. I need like a legit nap. The parts with the Red Queen were definitely the best. And I like her dynamic with Cyrus as he realizes that like there's more to her than big hair and a fancy wardrobe. I agree. The whole rabbit family was a disgusting CGI nightmare, and I could not have cared less about their plight. <laughs> like, like, he was looking away from the screen, and then you're just like, oh, sad rabbit family. I'm yeah. just imagining they're very cute. Like, I'm I not- wanted to care. I love bunnies. Exactly. I was so afraid. Exactly. Oh, my. I mean, like, his red eyes are already, like, bad enough for the white rabbit. But I'm just like, man, give me fursuits of the 1988 BBC production of Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe any day. Like, at least with people in costumes, you sense the soul in the eyes, right? Okay. Like, I don't <laughs> feel like they're going to eat me, you know? They're just cute. So, These but were ma- goopy. Yeah. yeah. The lower, the lower budget rabbits goopy. made me appreciate the white rabbit CG more because in comparison, he does look better. <laughs> I than like the guess. family that they really cheaped out on because like the scene where he was like small in the chair and being so sad and mopey like he almost looked cute but like they were so like I don't know they cut so many corners with the rest of his family I think in their animation that they just looked yeah. they moved weird they interact with stuff weird yeah definitely weird. that yeah and I think for me personally I don't like the character of the white rabbit in general like from the original source i'm like you fuckhead he's a classist asshole and i don't like him so he's got anxiety it's not I'm even like, that oh no my wife loves the right rabbit show oh i the anxiety i i appreciate me but hiding that- my numerous white rabbit cosplays i've done over the years going don't look at me <laughs> no 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 like i mean aesthetically he's fucking adorable but like you know like how he calls alice marianne yes marianne is a slur for an irish servant so they just generically called all domestics marianne Mm. yeah so it's just like you know i always felt bad for him for like the anxiety because you're like man that's that's a guy with a really terrible boss (laughs) so and also this child just comes in and destroys his house Sure, but he's the one that ordered her to go there. Go get my gloves and my fan. But he didn't tell her, like, while you're in there, please eat all my food and see what happens. (laughs) And see what happens. I think that'd be really cool if you just went in there and started just gobbling up my stuff that isn't just out there. It's in, like, little pots and things. You have to look for it. They're labeled, eat me. I think Alice was just like, this is asshole. (laughs) Here's the thing. I love Alice. (laughs) Alice has an asshole streak, and I think we just need to acknowledge that pretty much in every adaptation, Alice has an asshole streak. It's more yeah. egregious she's, in this adaptation, she's but she's a, always kind of an asshole. Sure. But she did just destroy that man's house. She did destroy that man's house. He's homeless I, now because think, of that horrible kid. 
I'm, I'm scared that poor Bill. So Blizzard. obviously we already know like my favorite version of Alice and my favorite Alice is Natalie Gregory, but I actually surprisingly really do like the Disney Alice. Oh, I love the Disney Alice. Yeah, I think I think she's actually very cool because she actually tries. Like she tries so hard. And that mm-hmm. girl just wants to go home and <laughs> she's just like, ooh, I am in over my head. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then like that, the way that that caterpillar got in her face, oh, that has like scarred me to this day. There's like, some genuinely like upsetting moments in the Disney movie. In the Disney one, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, she's a little girl. Don't you don't have to yell at her. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? She I mean, doesn't understand. It's an upsetting story. Yeah. Anyway. Will and Anastasia continue to be the best part of the show, and I am kind of curious about what happens next with the cliffhanger that we left on. I didn't mind the twist of the genie part. Like, I'm actually kind of glad that the plight of Cyrus is like, oh, he's free now. Oh, cool. Like, we're already, like, halfway through, or less than halfway through. But you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. that's not going to be, like, the climax of the show. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So now we have this plot to go on. Okay. Yeah, cool. I was really surprised. Uh, me too. Uh, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, we we fixed this. Okay, great. Like, yes, we have a new problem with Will being the genie. Sure. But then I was also like, that's going to be fun. Because <laughs> Will's just a fun character. Well, there's already some fun moments in the next episode that we've seen. Oh, he has like the best. I mean, he always has the best lines anyway, but he's got some great lines, which is why yeah. I kept a lot of the quotes that he had in here. <laughs> All right, speaking of the next episode. Oh, God, it's me. It's It's you. you. Okay, let's do this thing. Episode, what are we, nine? Is it nine? I don't care. I'm saying it's nine, nine, even if it it is nine. (laughs) And that was like, also, look, it was the break. It was the mid-season break. Mm, Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's a good cliffhanger. That's a good mid-season cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could have been in a better rest of the episode. True. You don't have a good episode of the last five minutes for the only thing that have anything going on. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, right. Episode nine, nothing to fear, or is there? I don't know. I'm so tired. Everything to fear. Everything to fear. I fear everything, and I cry, I cry, I cry. We suffer, and we suffer, and we suffer. This originally aired on March 6, 2014. It was written by Richard Cadham and Jen Cow. It was directed by Michael Slovis, and the title card is The Jabberwockies Tower. Here we go. Which looks very filthy, I have to say. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't want to talk about that. Okay. I mean, you you brought it up, but yes, no, it did. It did. I don't want to talk about it, but it did. Okay. Here we go. We need to get through this. It's, it's late. I'm tired. We begin where we left off in the last episode with Will as the new genie in his bottle sailing down a creek. The bottle comes to a rest on the shores and is discovered by Lizard, who is just done having a bath, I guess. When she picks up the bottle, Will emerges from it in a puff of red smoke. They were delighted to see each other as Lizard was badly injured the last time Will saw her, and he was turned into stone. Unable to stay and exchange pleasantries when he knows his friends are in trouble, Will starts to leave. Lizard, trying to understand what is going on, calls for him to wait, and the power of the bottle's master pulls him back to her. She's wondering what just happened, but Will pulls three glowing red jewels out of his pocket or somewhere and gives them to her. These are her three wishes, and Will is compelled to recite like an automaton, Mistress mine, my will is thine, tell me your wishes three. Because he's our precious little meow meow, Will adds, bollocks, I'm pretty sure I'm a genie. (laughs) Back to the A-plot. Alice wakes in the invisible home she shares with Cyrus. They take a moment to be mushy and disgusting before Anastasia interrupts them as she waits in her writing clothes. The two women begin to choose violence, but Cyrus admonishes them both to work together. They search the woods for the bottle and realize it must have fallen in the water. 
Following the path of the river, Alice and Cyrus walk together with the Red Queen at their back. Cyrus and Alice attempt to have a talk, but realize the trauma they've recently been through is too much for a casual chat and promise each other a deep, meaningful conversation when they have peace and quiet. Alice turns to glance at Anastasia, but she has disappeared. Alice thinks she's trying to find the bottle on her own to betray them because she's a fucking idiot. Cyrus <laughs> spots signs of a struggle and a torn piece of Anastasia's cloak. He does a spell to track her, and the bit of cloth begins to float through the air in her direction. Alice asks how Cyrus was able to do the spell when he's not magical anymore, so he explains that anybody could do simple magic like this. He says his mother taught all of us basic spells. In actuality, Anastasia was kidnapped by a mob of peasant rabble, so I hope you feel terrible, Alice. She they never will. The, she never will, because she sucks! <laughs> they steal the jewels off of her and remind her what a terrible queen she was, taking their harvests and offering them no protection in return. They decide the time for vengeance is nigh as they drag Anastasia to a stake and bind her to it. She pleads with them, explaining that she understands how they've suffered because she used to be poor like them. They want to know why she did nothing for them in that case. She has no answer and apparently lost the ability to do magic on these plebes. I know, I was all, cast fireball! Cast fireball! I, yeah, I, I definitely had a, like, this is fine, she'll just blow them up. She's not. She's not blowing them up. Yeah, I wonder if it's because she just... No, I mean, it, it was because the writers everybody. forgot. It was because the right. it wasn't convenient for the plot, so they didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> no, this scene, I kind of just had, like, the Olaf in Frozen where he's like, just knock. Does she know how to knock? That's how I felt. Like, just, just use your magic, mm-hmm. girl. Just use your magic. Just blow them up. It's fine. It's fine, girl. Choose violence. You deserve <laughs> it as a treat. But then she didn't. Anyway. Watching nearby, Alice and Cyrus debate whether they should try to help Anastasia. Even though Alice has always been shown to be a good person who will fight for others, whether they deserve it or not, she now wants to let Anastasia die a horrible death. Shocking. And Cyrus must convince her to do the right thing. Anastasia tries to convince the peasants to ransom her, but realizes that no one will pay because she's been an awful ruler who endeared herself to no one at all. Cyrus and Alice emerge, declaring that they will pay the ransom. Cyrus then gives a pretty speech about how the villagers are good, honest people above revenge. But like the song goes, the best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and the bees because money is all the villagers actually want. Naturally, Alice chooses violence because that's what she always does, but they are overwhelmingly outnumbered, and soon the young couple find themselves tied to stakes next to Anastasia. Good job, let's all golf clap for them. At their feet are several lit torches because the momraths are drawn to the light. They kick the torches over to put them out, but the Momraths are lured by the glowing amulet Alice is still wearing. She is forced to chuck it like a bone to a pack of dogs in order to flee with the others. Cyrus tries to comfort Alice over the loss of the amulet. They hear fireworks going off in the distance, and Anastasia says that the village below them is one of the poorest in the kingdom. They deduce that someone in the village must be making wishes. Despite Alice's concerns that Anastasia will find the genie's bottle first and make off with it, Cyrus insists they split up. As soon as he's alone with Alice, he takes a moment to renew his marriage proposal. When she accepts, he gives her a ring to replace the lost amulet. And when he offered it to her, I had Christopher Walken's entire monologue from Pulp Fiction in my head because I was like, where was he hiding that hunk of metal up his ass? (laughs) I assumed he had like, I don't know, anime girl hyperspace. Yeah, magic Um, genie pockets. Magic genie pockets. They're, you know, like TARDIS pockets. They're, They're bigger on the inside. I don't fucking know. I also am not going to get into how angry this scene made me. I can save my rant till the end. The fireworks scene? Well, it wasn't the fireworks. It was like, oh, okay. So Alice has to chuck her necklace. And like Cyrus is like, yeah, no, I know. I'm sorry you had to give it up. 
And she was like, but when you were gone, that was like the only thing I had. And it's like, he's here now. What do you need the shiny necklace still for? Like, she's just so hemmed on to this stupid material possession. It's like, okay, maybe just talk to your boyfriend. You don't need the necklace. The necklace was for when he wasn't around. He's here now. Actually talk to your boyfriend. Like, you know what? (laughs) She's hitting August levels with me. Oh, no. She's hitting August levels. That's how much I hate Alice. Wild. She's not quite there because I don't know if I'll ever hate anyone as much as August, but you know what? She's like hanging out in a cool second place. Okay, I'm good. We're moving on. All right, we'll do a check-in next. What do I have special? Where is she compared to August? Yeah, we'll we'll do a check-in there. (laughs) Christ. Once we finish. We'll make a shit list. I'll have to like find a few more to put into the scale. See where it ranks with just like the assholes of Once Upon a Time. During B- Ah, don't bring up granny right now i'm trying to get my blood pressure down sorry sorry think about michael socha's face i am trying during the b plot lizard and will go to her town she thinks he doesn't need to return to alice and cyrus as he's fulfilled his mission to help them get back together he agrees but when lizard offers will freedom after granting her first wish will tries to tell her the rules of magic but only remembers the one about not making people fall in love lizard suddenly decides that instead of making her first wish she'll give it to will Not wanting to incur the consequences of a complex wish, Will wishes for beers for everyone in the village. The villagers are partying hard into the evening with Will, chanting, Nave, Nave, Nave. He thanks Lizard again for the wish and is determined to grant something she wants next. Lizard has no desire to make her next wish too quickly and directs Will to enjoy his party. He grins, I have no idea what Cyrus was complaining about. Being a genie is bloody fantastic. Later that evening, Lizard watches the revelers through the window of her little medieval studio apartment. Will joins her to ask why she's not taking part, but he realizes she must have a crush on someone. He reminds her that he's a genie, and even though he can't make anyone love her, he can help her win someone over. She says, you tell me then, what makes you notice a girl? He lists many good characteristics, then ends with stylishness, a naughty streak, and fireworks. Lizard says, I want that, I want all of that, that's my second wish. Will waves his hands, and suddenly Lizard is wearing a basic off-the-rack prom dress and... Kind of looks like Jennifer Love Hewitt, while fireworks light up the night sky. Lizard finally admits to Will that he is the object of her affection. Will apologetically explains that while he thinks the world of her is a mate, he cannot love her. She carelessly laments, it doesn't have to be love, I just wish you could at least feel something for me, anything. This is her accidental third wish, and Will can't stop it from coming true. She suddenly collapses, and as she lays dying, he's pulled back into his bottle, only able to see her through the grating on the bottom. He weeps in agony as she dies. A and B plot now converge when Anastasia finds Lizard's house and goes straight to the dead woman on the floor. Horrified, Anastasia gently shuts Lizard's eyes. She spots the bottle lying nearby and smiles in relief. She finds Alice and Cyrus, who are skeptical that Anastasia acquired it without hurting anyone. So she rubs the bottle and Will appears again. He's relieved to see Alice and Cyrus, but irritated when he realizes Anastasia is his new mistress. Anastasia's eager to leave Wonderland now that they're all reunited. Explain that if Jafar catches Will, he'll have all three genies and the ability to change the laws of magic. Cyrus says the other genies are his brothers. They were all cursed at the same time, and now he wants to rescue them. Alice assures him of her assistance, even if they have to defeat Jafar. Will tells them goodbye as he assumes Anastasia will not stick around to help. She takes up the challenge, though. I have been a terrible queen. These people, they deserve better than what I gave them. So we are staying and we are fighting. Besides, there's four of us. Jafar's on his own. He doesn't stand a chance. In lieu of a flashback, we find out what Jafar gets up to. Jafar moves into the Red Queen's abandoned palace. 
He has his daddy issues on display, wheeled into the throne room in his cage, and gloats that he finally has a throne of his own. Jafar tries to shame his father again about his attempt to murder Jafar in his youth, but the Sultan now only regrets his failures because he is a full bag of dicks. Jafar is shaken <laughs> and orders him taken away. He sucks, and I don't know why he's still alive. The caterpillar soon approaches the throne, and I can't tell you how much I hate seeing him again because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about an old yeah. horror. Yeah, because the, the flesh turd, the flesh turd that is the caterpillar is bring bring back egregious. the blue rabbits. Bring back the blue rabbits. I'll take don't, them. I don't want any of them. <laughs> I didn't ask for any of this. <sighs> anyway, the flesh turd that is the caterpillar approaches the throne. Oh, flesh turd! <laughs> I've been calling him the flesh turd. Oh, no, it's so gross. Okay, continue. <laughs> Look, we all have to cope with this trauma the best we can <laughs> and this is how i'm doing it it's what i've got you're doing it's great you're got. doing great thank you the caterpillar's men are searching for alice and the others without luck and jafar admonishes him to try harder the sorcerer knows the third wish has been made and the bottle is ready for a new master the caterpillar suggests jafar free the jabberwocky an ancient creature of terrifying power who might be able to get jafar what he wants in the Jabberwocky's tower, Jafar uses his staff as a torch and finds several guards who appear to have died young, without any wounds, as if they died of fear. Suddenly, a woman's deep voice echoes through the round metal chamber, asking why he's there. He offers to set her free in exchange for her help in finding the genie. She warns him that she can read all his fears and darkest thoughts. He smugly tells her that he's been around dark magic most of his life, and he has no fears, sure, Jan. So she won't be able to read his mind. It's just been patently shown to be not true multiple times, but whatever. She just was like, okay, Edgelord. She laughs. <laughs> I say that at least twice a goddamn episode of Wonderland. Because <laughs> I just, uh, oh, I just cannot. Like, he's pretty, but God. <laughs> God. He's like, more handsome each episode. No, he's very handsome. But that just, just don't That's talk. That's kind of the worst, though like a really good looking attractive edgelord i'm just like oh, yeah because no, you're just why? like oh, oh you're hot but god you suck mm -hmm. <sighs> anyway he claims he has no fears which you've just discussed is just bullshit so she won't be able to read his mind she laughs and tells him she already has the disembodied voice agrees to join jafar she prompts him to look up, and he sees an eerie-looking woman in a god-awful hack-to-shit Kelly wig. Oh my god. Kelly wig! It's a Kelly wig! Oh my it's god, a Kelly. Kelly wig. It's a Kelly Classic. wig! Classic wig style. That was such a fucking blast from the past right there. <laughs> oh, Kelly wig. You were, you know what? The Kelly wig was there for me when I had no one blows a kiss to the sky to the Kelly wig. Oh, same. I think we all had a Kelly wig at one point. Oh, this I is, had. This is a I goddamn show with a budget. I had so many for a while. That was the only fucking wig you could get. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Going to Amphigury. Oh, hell yeah. Amphigury. Amphigury and fucking Costworks. Costworks. Yep. Oh, damn. The life of an early 2000s cosplayer. The kids don't know how good you have it today with all these different wig options. That was nostalgia I was not expecting. You're proud of me? <laughs> I am. Oh, Thank the you. Kelly wig. It is a Because well, it reminded me wig. of Halle Berry's wig, a storm. Oh, jeez. I was, like, yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, they just threw her in a Kelly wig. Yeah. Oh, do I need to re-record that? Or do you want to just leave that all in? Leave it in. It's oh, okay. Leave it in. Yeah. Okay. She's pinned to the ceiling by a wicked looking sword. He summons the sword into his hand, and she drops to the ground at his feet. 
She stretches her body animalistically, the bones of her back cracking and realigning. They weigh each other carefully. Jafar decides to keep the blade that has the power to hold her, and the Jabberwocky retaliates by showing him what she can do. As she whispers his worst horror in his ear, he begins to feel as if he's drowning again and seems on the point of collapse until the Jabberwocky releases him from her psychic grasp. He now understands the full force of her power. Good job, you goddamn idiot. That's the end of Nothing to Fear. <laughs> She's the scarecrow. <laughs> She's Jonathan Crane. That's that's their power. <laughs> uh, except without Killian Murphy's beautiful cheekbones. I wish Killian Murphy was here. No, I don't, God, I don't wish I don't, that on him. I don't wish that on him. He has paid enough. Done enough. his time. <laughs> he has done his time in shitty movies and shows. Run, Killian. Be free, my love. <laughs> anyway. What are our thoughts on this thing we just watched? My thoughts are always that Lizard should have been queer because, to be honest, she has zero straight vibes. And then her queerness might have actually kept her alive. I don't know. Yay. Queerness saves no. us. I, I, I don't know. I think her feelings for Will are contrived purely to be fridge for the sake of man pain. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I wasn't knowing to that. I was. I think their queerness would have gotten her killed off sooner. Oh, I get you. Oh, true. Because they, they, they love to bury a gay. Yeah, 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she, she wouldn't have she would have lived gay. through the credit sequence oh, god yeah it's a shame though she does have really strong queer energy yeah oh for sure yeah. I, I feel like death by unrequited love is just often sloppily executed and it takes a much better and sophisticated show than this to mm-hmm. do it properly the real shining star of course was the red queen having her come to jesus moment and i love how she's suddenly like let's go team <laughs> but by the end of the episode like everyone else is freaked out like oh my god what side of the mushroom did she eat <laughs> <laughs> but like oh my god though except for the whole part where she just like conveniently forgot magic to get away from the angry mob that just like flames on the side of my face i was just like oh my god like what <laughs> it's just lazy writing also, fun fact, the Jabberwocky is legit one of my earliest childhood fears because of, again, the TV movie miniseries that I often wax poetic about. It's revealed at the end of part one. And that was the night that my brother was watching me, like one of the first times that he actually watched me at night alone. And my <laughs> parents had to call from the hospital to let him know that they were going to be home real late because my mom got bit by a dog. Oh no! Um, nah, she was fine. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, because my mom like never blamed the dog. I don't. I don't have a fear of dogs, but that could have turned into a fear of dogs. But I associate that night with the Jabberwocky and me already being terrified, and now my mommy isn't home. So <laughs> no. no. But yes, the Jabberwocky is, for me, legitimately scary, even though, you know, this is 80s TV, so. Yeah, but Alice in Wonderland is terrifying. Right. And the Jabberwocky is supposed to be terrifying. Yeah, he is terrifying in that show. Like, I, I was scared of the Jabberwocky when I read the books as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember that, so I don't, I don't think that's unreasonable. I remember as a kid being like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. And otherwise, though, um, this episode isn't terrible, but, like, Alice continues to grate on my last fucking nerve. This episode is a prime example of what I've been saying from day one, which is that Anastasia is the only person here who gets it. Alice is so self-involved and isn't a good person, and it's time someone said so. Now that her blorbo is back, she can barely be asked about Will, and honestly, she can get fucked. Some of my only joy this episode comes from Anastasia straight up reading Alice for filth. Alice is also preposterously dumb in this episode? 
Like she works herself up into a fit being like, oh, Anastasia went off without us, that bitch. When like, yeah, she straight up was like, hey, we need to look for my boyfriend because if Jafar finds him before we do, that's going to be big time bad. And you chose to fuck off in the forest and wonder why she gave up on you and peaced out. Like, come on, use your head, you murder hobo. Honestly, Alice has been terrible for the whole run of this show. Mm -hmm. But this episode is a real peak of it for me. This episode hits a point where even Cyrus starts being like, wow, you're actually a bad person, which is a shit look for your protagonist. And probably one of my biggest problems with this show as a whole. Like, sure, there are plenty of shows where the point is that your lead character is an irredeemable bad person. But Wonderland tries so hard to tell you Alice is a good person and a hero. While they're telling you that, they're showing you that she is cruel and selfish and manipulative. Which is why this ultimately doesn't work for me. I can forgive the plot holes and bad CGI and lazy writing. What I can't forgive is this whole Alice thing. Because she's not supposed to be Tony Soprano or Walter White. She's supposed to be a good person. And I know I ragged on Cyrus a lot in the beginning of the show, but he actually is a good person. And mm -hmm. I just want him to run away from this goddamn monster. Like, damn boy, you're a sweet guy with so much to offer. Don't settle for this garbage woman. I'm begging you. Respect yourself, Cyrus, please. Yeah, he's so sweet. He's actually really he's grown so on me. He's so sweet. He's yeah, he's grown on I really me. Like, like Cyrus. I will fully I I will cop to the shit I gave him at the beginning of the show because I did. I gave him shit. But he he is. He is he has become sweet. He is a good person. He is too good. And he should just run as far as his little no longer a genie feet can take him. Mm-hmm. That's my piece. Overall, besides the fridging of Blizzard, which I hated. I, I did mostly enjoy this episode. It was really just the, the fridging and blizzard that just really rubbed me the wrong way. Also, the moment where they tried to make the audience feel sorry for the Sultan again, because that man is human scum and I hate him. He's literally a child murderer. Like, he drowned his son with his own hands. Fuck that guy. Anyway, besides that, overall, I thought this was a pretty decent episode. I'm really glad Anastasia called out that Alice was being a selfish person. Will went through so much to help Cyrus and Alice, but now that Alice has Cyrus back, Alice no longer cares about helping Will in return. It's it's shitty. And once again, I go back to what I talked about after episode seven, the first one in this episode. There is potential for a very interesting narrative where Alice was a kind and chivalrous child. But through her experiences, she grew up cold and cynical and violent. But the, there's characters like Will and then like Cyrus who think of her as she was, not as she is. And that would be so interesting to explore. And while we don't get that here, at least we have it with Anastasia in this episode. And even Cyrus for a moment, there, even Cyrus is like, what are you doing? And having them tell it like it is, I'm glad that at least in some of these worst moments here, it's being acknowledged that Alice is not being kind here. She's being selfish here. And, and you know, we all can be selfish. And sometimes it's, it's right for us to be selfish. But in this case, like, you know, Will did so much for her. And she should care that Will's missing and Will is suffering and Will is now trapped the way Cyrus is trapped. She should care. And she doesn't. And it's weird but also not surprising with the character they presented us with so far. That said, Cyrus has truly grown on me, and I genuinely really like his character now. And not just like the last couple episodes where I was like, I'm, I'm kind of liking that himbo energy. 
Like, I genuinely find him a kind and interesting character by this point. I, I really think they should have, if they wanted to do some kind of pure of heart test, um, like they did in episode five, they should have done it with Cyrus. Because honestly, mm. I would have believed it. Like, Cyrus is the one in this relationship who has that, like, Disney princess energy. He's more similar to characters like Snow White, like Belle. He has that faith and that goodness, those Disney princess traits. So yeah, Cyrus has now joined the very exclusive club of characters in the show I truly care about. Um, Previously, it was an exclusive club of Will and Anastasia. And while those two are still the best, Cyrus gets to be there now because he is in that club of characters in the show I feel genuinely invested in and, and want the best for. Cyrus has achieved Blorbo status. He is Blorbo from my show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about costumes. costumes. Yeah. As always, Anastasia's outfits are superb. I did like Alice's new adventuring outfit in Nothing to Fear. Anastasia's adventuring outfit is amazing. Absolutely flawless. I haven't talked about it before, um, but there are some good close-ups. And I actually really love the fabric of Cyrus's shirt. It's really, really lovely with these intricate gold stitching and sequence details. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of wardrobe that I feel like I've underappreciated until some close-up shots in these episodes. I also really liked the detail of the fire on Jafar's staff being a practical effect. It looked really nice. I was really surprised that they actually went through that effort. It's more than I expected from them. I thought it was cool. It was a nice touch. And I thought the practical effect you know, added more realism to the Jabberwocky scene. But speaking of the Jabberwocky scene, what did not add to it was the worst wig. <laughs> like her performance was pretty creepy, but that wig was so distracting. And so even that cool fire effect couldn't, I don't know if all the budget went there. And so they couldn't afford a decent wig, but it was bad. Yeah, I, um, I was thinking, I was like, oh man, I didn't think we could top poor little Millie Bobby Brown's shitty little wig. And yet, <laughs> and yet, here we are. Oh, how does it stack with uh, David's wig and the shepherd, though? Oh God, I don't know. That might still uh, have a cake. I, that was that was weird. That was a mop. It sat atop his head. <laughs> it did not really make contact with head. It just like <laughs> hovered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost want to say the shepherd is more egregious because it's meant to actually be like, you know, proper Realistic. hair, whereas yeah. this is supposed to be like, you know, like fucked up, you know, because she's been in this tower. The Jabberwocky was just offensive to look at. Like the wig wasn't just bad. It was it was matted plastic. I can only conclude that by the time they got to her, they had blown their entire budget and just grabbed what they could from the clearance bins <laughs> of Party City. 
that's all I got. Anastasia looked great. I didn't care about a whole lot else. Other than, I guess it's nice that Wonderland somehow stocks jumbo bath sheet towels from Target, because otherwise I don't know how Lizard got that thing. Which I guess counts as a costume she was wearing it. Yeah, I don't know why they had to have her in a towel in the opening scene. That was weird. It was weird. I was all like, oh, I guess they've got Bed Bath & Beyond in Wonderland. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was like, that's why not? What? No. That was... And it was like bright green also like yeah it it was a choice it it was I mean they made some it, choices with her I'm surprised you did not read her for that fucking dress oh my god Oh well I didn't because you are like in the actual yeah. script Yeah I wrote itself. that just for you Yeah it was it was already in there so I didn't think I needed to come back and belabor it but Yeah but no it, it was it it was it was a shit man what the fuck moment when that dress showed up but hey, like yeah. in all ways they really did lizard dirty in this episode. They did. Like, like, like random just... random towel scene, the prom dress. The... And then they're like, we know how we'll make you pretty. Now you're just Jennifer Love Hewitt doing an ad for the most discount dress bar and prom dress we and can throw like, you in. And then like, yeah, having her, her die because she's careless with her, her wish because she loves Will. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't think. It was sloppy and shitty all around. Yeah, I did not love that writing. No. No. <sighs> All right. It's time for Once Upon a Timeline, which they went pretty easy on us this time. So the flashbacks in episode seven take place uh, once again in the realm of Agrabah. The ones we see here are now the new earliest flashbacks in Agrabah we have seen, as those we have saw in Wonderland episode four, The Serpent, take place... After the scene here where Jafar is is left for dead on the edge of town. And then uh, the rest of the episode finishes and the flashbacks at the very end of the episode take place after Jafar comes into his own power at the end of Wonderland episode four, the serpent flashbacks. So the serpent places in between the bulk of these flashbacks and then the last flashback. All right. So. The flashbacks we see in episode 8 take place following those flashbacks seen in Wonderland episode 2, Trust Me, where Cyrus and Alice bury Cyrus's bottle. (laughs) Cyrus's bottle. Christ. Cyrus's bottle. (laughs) And then the ones that most closely follow episode 8's flashback are actually those seen in Once Upon a Time, season 1, episode 17, Hat Trick where Regina double-crosses Jefferson and leaves him in Wonderland. And finally, in episode 9, there were no flashbacks, so I did not have to do any work for that episode. So, yay! Huzzah. 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 All right, who's that guest star? In Wonderland, episode 7 through 9, we have Amir Arson as the young sultan. I squealed when I saw my little meow meow! Amir is best known for his decade-long role as special agent Aram Moshtabai. On the blacklist, obviously you can tell I am a huge fan and that he is one of my favorite characters. He has also had roles on Law & Order SVU, Girls, H+, and American Horror Story. He got his dick bit off by a ghost. Excuse me? Yeah, in a French maid outfit. I'm assuming on American Horror Story. No. On what? 
real life. American but... Horror Story. <laughs> my wife losing it in the next room. Yeah, no, it was on American Horror Story. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, do not shut sully the name of Amir Arson, aka Special Agent Aram Moshtabai. He was a real sleazeball in American Horror Story, and then he got his dick bit off by a ghost. He was in one episode. Oh my God. Yeah, and he died when he got his dick up bit off by a ghost. <laughs> Well, as Special Agent Aram Mostabai, <laughs> he is a fucking hero. He's not an American Horror Story. He's a sleazy land developer. That must have been fun for him, at least. Man, until the whole dick thing happened, I'm sure it was great. No, I, I mean, meant for him an as an actor. actor. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never watched American Horror Story, but I bet it's so campy and over the top from what I know. It's probably it's a very fun show to act on. I mean, everyone who's on it seems like they're having a great fucking time. Yeah, you can't get me to watch it, but. No, not me either. Yeah. Then we have Daniel Zogadri as young Mirza. He is known for his roles in Fahrenheit 451, Tales from the Loop, Funny Pages, and Eighth Grade. Once Upon a Time in Wonderland was his first IMDb credit. Then we have Rika Sharma as Ulima, who's Jafar's mother. This badass actor has thankfully had so many better roles in her career, including Transplant, Yellow Jackets, Star Trek Discovery, Heya, <laughs> The 100, V, Dark Angel, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, and Supernatural. <laughs> and we have Brian George as the old Sultan. This guy's amazing, you guys. I had to stop myself from listing his credits. Yes, he's done face acting, right as shit, but he is a prolific voice actor. He has had too many roles to truly list, but here are some of the titles that he's been in. <gasps> Care Bears the Movie. Oh. Yeah. Care Bears the Movie, yeah. We do love Care Bears the Movie. Yeah. Dennis the Menace, The Pink Panther, Diablo 2, Batman Beyond. He's in all of the Lord of the Rings video games as King Theoden. Star Wars video games. Like, he just has too many roles for me to even, like, list. Mass Effect. He's in, like, what? the whole all the whole Mass Effect franchise. What? Who is yep. he in Mass Effect? I'm going to have knew- to go look now. You're gonna I'm, have to go. I'm look. have to go look now. I I'm knew that you were gonna freak. He's in the oh, Clone so Wars, bad. and he is also Barbosa's voice for both Kingdom Hearts and the Pirates of the Caribbean video games. And nice. just he is in so much stuff. My mind was boggling. Yeah, I was sad the Sultan ended up being just such a horrible person because I I do really I have a lot yeah. of fondness for that actor, and so I was like, oh, I wanted you to be a nice guy, but instead of your monster in this. Then we have Peta Sargent as the Jabberwocky. Our Australian listeners may recognize their countrywoman from such titles as Canal Road, All Saints, Satisfaction, and Headland. Internationally, she has had roles in titles like Supergirl and Snowfall. Her career has actually been picking up good traction, so good for her. And then, last but certainly not least, we have Whoopi Goldberg as the voice of Mrs. Rabbit. I left this blank because I didn't need any fucking prompts. No, if you don't know who Whippy Goldberg is, we can't help you really at this I point. Can't, I can't help you. I can't <laughs> help you. And But if you are interested in learning more about Whoopi Goldberg, you're in luck because there is literally a plethora of film that she has been in. I actually just watched Sister Act last week. And I have to say, holds up. She is also in, oh my God, my brain is like exploding. The Color Purple, Jumpin' Jack Flash, which I think is very underrated, by the way. Star Trek Next Generation. Star Trek Next She saved I love Star Trek so Next much. Generation. She, she is such a huge Star Trek fan that she, she saved them from being canceled. 
Um, the character is so lovely on that show. Dinah's yes. the best. And she's in Deep her. Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Same character. My brain's just imploding. So just go look her up on IMDb. She's done tons. She's done tons. When Don't Lynn judge and- her for being on The View. <laughs> when Lynn and me were at Epcot um, this past winter, we walked by like the show they have the Candlelight Processional mm. um, mm-hmm. every night. And the special speaker that night was Whoopi Goldberg. And so we're just walking by. We're just like, the shit, that's Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wild. and of course, she's a prolific stand-up comedian. So there you go. I feel like the holy shit, that's Whoopi Goldberg. It's my same reaction when Mrs. Rabbit opened her mouth on the show. I was just like, Whoopi? How did they? How? <laughs> I, I knew it was Whoopi, so I, I knew it was that? coming. In both instances, it was me yelling, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for our rants and raves, our segment where each narrator shares something they're loving this week or something getting under their skin. Okay, um, I'm trying to be better about sticking to things that listeners could potentially experience, or in some instances, I guess, stay away from if I hate them, and I'm like, don't, don't do the thing. So, hey, Yellow Jackets is back. I'm so happy. If you aren't watching Yellow Jackets, that might be fine. It's spooky and very gory, but I love it a lot, and I missed it, and I would pretty much die for Melanie Linsky, so that's what I've got. <laughs> this weekend, Lynn and me rewatched Arcane. And it's still incredible. I, I think I shut it out back when it first came out at the end of uh, 2021. But still, it's just so good. And the animation is so slick. And I cannot wait until we get a, a second season. I need it. I mean, I want the animation team to take their time and be, you know, well rested and not rush it. But I, I can't wait. We finally we got it. a release date, though. We do. It is It is supposed to come at end of 2023. So this year. So mm-hmm. super Yay. excited. Yeah. I reread Gideon the Ninth and I won't shut up to anyone who will listen to me. So thank you, Lynn and Lisa, for getting me into the lock tomb. I tried to listen to the audiobook like immediately after I finished Gideon the Ninth. But um, I really dislike the voice that she puts on for Harrow. Oh, she's a good... I like the audiobook. I just, I don't like the high pitch ultra posh voice that she puts on for Harrow. I also think it should be a Kiwi reading it, not a British person. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, it's I, fair, but Tamsin herself likes the narrator. So I try not to. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. But yeah, so I, I got like through chapter four and I might still go with it, but yeah, I, I was just, and I love her voice for Gideon. Her, her voice for Gideon is very fun. I'd say stick My- with it. They're, they're good. Like, cause I, after I finished the books, I was like, all I want to do is read the books, but I don't have time. I have to sew. Yeah. So Elisa bought me the audiobooks, and I just like had them all while I was plowing through sewing. Mm-hmm. And they're they're lovely, honestly. Okay. And I am not someone who likes audiobooks. So all time favorite voice. I love her Pira voice so much. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> it's very good. And I'm, I'm not pr- an audiobook person, so right. I'm pricky about my audiobooks, obviously. So, but yeah, like the hero voice was just like it's not what I heard when I read, but I got I got used to it. I mean, she's always a bit posh, but I mean, she's the poshest girl in like the most backwoods fucking you know. Yeah, but I'm like, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. It kind of makes sense for me that Harrow has just like like I I feel like I remember at first being a little jarring and then being like, you know what? Actually, no, Harrow would have the prissiest voice I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that actually really checks out and this is from someone who harrow is her favorite character so okay well uh, well and i'm very curious like all the other voices that she'll put on for everybody else so but i think i recognize this person just from like a podcast you're dead to me the bbc podcast that i really like so i'm gonna have to check them out 
Uh, but I'm also currently reading my very first Holly Black book called The Coldest Girl in Cold Town for the vampire podcast that I host. I'm in it. I'm like, yeah, I'm like 60% done. You know, so far, so good. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch in Wonderland, we're going to wrap this shit up. It will finally be over. <laughs> Woo! Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is become ungovernable. Become your own mom. <laughs> Visit us at Spotify for podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at Once Upon Rewatch. On Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. On Tumblr at Once Upon a Rewatch.tumblr.com. The artwork for our podcast was by Lychee Riru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz. And our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. And adds it to a motor, 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 mortar. There you go. And adds it to a motor, mortar, mortar, <laughs> and adds it to a motor. God. I believe in you. I believe in you. Just call it a bowl at this point. <laughs> or a cauldron. Yeah. Adds it to a mortar. I did it. Did you, you did. Yeah. You, you did, honey. Okay.